Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Democrats save their debate and why WeWork didn't slow down startup investing. But first, Boeing's unfriendly skies. So when you've got a moment today, do a Google image search for the phrase Boeing parking lot. What you'll get are not shots of where Boeing employees put their cars, but rather giant parking lots full of hundreds of Boeing 737 MAX jets, which have been grounded since March after two of the planes crashed, killing 346 people. At the time, Boeing suggested that the fleet would be back online by year end because it would have fixed the deadly software glitch. In fact, it was so confident it kept making new 737 MAXs, 42 per month, as it awaited FAA approval. But that approval has not come, with the FAA apparently going with the once-bitten-twice-shy theory of regulation. And Boeing now, in the last 24 hours, has announced it will indefinitely suspend production of new 737 MAXs in January. Now, why this matters is twofold. First, it is simply hard to understand how Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg still has a job, even if the company did already strip him of his chairman title. We live in an era where CEOs get quickly fired for all sorts of offenses, from personal conduct to business declines. But here's someone who oversaw a process whereby hundreds of people died. Federal regulators felt deceived, and shareholders have lost over $65 billion in value. Mullenberg might be a great guy and a delightful dinner guest, but it is mind-boggling that he still has a job at Boeing. Second, Boeing says that the 737 MAX production stoppage will not result in layoffs, but it can't make the same promise for workers of companies that make parts for the 737 MAX. Other companies, the suppliers, those folks and their employers may have no choice but to downsize. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with pilot and aviation expert Jeff Wise. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by pilot and aviation expert Jeff Wise. So Jeff, let's start here. A while back, earlier this year, you made the argument that even if Boeing was correct and could get the MAX 737s back online by year end, it might not be worth it. Given what we know now, has Boeing made a mistake continuing this line of planes? I mean, it definitely looks worse now than it did back then. The frustrating thing about this saga is that the anticipated return to service just keeps receding into the mist. The further along we go, the more it gets pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I interpret yesterday's announcement that they were going to suspend production to indicate that Boeing themselves don't really see an end in sight. I mean, if they really thought that this plane was going to be back in the air in February or March, last we heard they had something like 5,000 orders for these planes. So it would make sense to just keep building them you know, wait it out. The plane gets approved in a couple of months. It's back in the air. All these planes that are sitting on the ground can fly and Boeing can get the money. But the fact that they've decided to stop means that this isn't maybe just a temporary glitch, that this is really a deep-seated problem. And listen, I don't know what Boeing knows. Nobody does. But this is a bad sign. Boeing has said repeatedly, and everything we've heard is that this is a software problem. This is not a hardware equipment problem. Do you still buy that? And if it's just a software problem, 
And if they haven't been able to fix it by now, we're what, nine months into this, does this potentially mean it's a not fixable software problem? In other words, you simply, this kind of plane cannot avoid potential catastrophes that we had in March? A little bit disingenuous to say that it's a software problem. It's a software problem in a system that was designed to make up for a fundamental hardware problem, which is that the airframe that they designed is dynamically unstable, that if it enters certain modes, it will tend to pitch up in a potentially catastrophic way. So they've built a basically unsound plane. And the fact that they tried to patch it with this automated system, that famous MCAS, that they were so sure would work well that they didn't even need to tell pilots about it. And then it turned out that this was a potentially deadly system that would itself take control of the plane and pitch it into the ground. And yeah, the noises they made at first were to the effect of, oh, it's a software glitch, we'll patch it, we'll fix it, and, we'll, and everything will be fine. Clearly, the problem has proven to be more intractable than that. To answer your question, maybe it is an inherently intractable problem, meaning this whole concept is unsound. Is there any reason to believe, and I've heard this kind of some call them Boeing apologists, that the FAA kind of feels burned by the fact that it okayed this plane in the first place, and that it's overcorrecting? this time, that indeed Boeing's arguably maybe fixed the problem, but the FAA is not just trying to certify safety the way it normally would, but that it is going above and above and beyond almost to the point of unreasonableness. Is there any reason to buy that argument? I don't think there's any evidence that the FAA or Boeing has been too prudent in the handling of this matter. We have hundreds of dead people as a result of some really bad decision making. The people who made those decisions are still in their jobs. And, you know, last month, the CEO and the chairman of the board of Boeing went out and made these speeches and had sat for interviews and basically said, look, we're on track, everything's okay, trust us. Trust is an essential commodity when it comes to air travel, and it's a commodity that has allowed Boeing to become a behemoth and to become a world leader in the making of passenger airplanes. But it is a commodity that it has burned through rapidly in 2019, and it is in very short supply right now. And clearly, regulators and airlines have reached the limit of their patience. And I think that they can't be too prudent at this point because they need to really earn their trust back. Jeff, as a pilot, let's assume for a minute that suddenly the production starts again because the FAA signals that they're going to allow this to begin. How, as a pilot, do you get comfortable getting behind the controls and taking off in one of these planes? I think the problem isn't really pilots. I mean, pilots are used to a certain degree of risk. You know, we get in there. I fly light planes where the, where the element of risk is like orders of magnitude higher than in commercial planes. I think your, your average airline pilot, commercial airline pilot, is going to get in this plane and feel like, I, I know what the risk is. I know how to handle it if things turn south. It's the passengers. It's the passengers who have to be made comfortable, and their giddishness is, is, is much, much higher. In the end, we're, as I said, you know, we're nine months into this at this point. Do you think if, we, if you and I are having this conversation next December, a year from now, are 737 Maxes flying? The unthinkable is a lot more thinkable now. And I, I can't say that that is, I wouldn't predict that that is going to be the case. I wouldn't have never predicted. And I, I, as you pointed out at the top, I think I ranked among the more skeptical about the 737 MAX back in March and April. But even I never thought that it would be December, and we still wouldn't have a firm sense of when this thing is really going to get back in the air. 
And as I say, the, the, the return to service is a ever-receding thing. You know, it just gets further and further away the further along we go. So, I mean, at this point, I would say it's, it's much more possible that that scenario could play out than I ever would have thought. And finally, you made the comment, and I made it in the open, that, you know, that the people, a lot of the people responsible for this, at least at the senior levels of management, are still in their jobs, which, which is remarkable given how quickly CEOs get fired for all sorts of other things. From your perspective, is Mullenberg the right person to still be leading Boeing? I mean, from my perspective, it's shocking to me, actually. And yet, Boeing has gotten a lot of criticism for, in the last few years, shifting its emphasis from aircraft engineering to financial engineering. They've been pouring billions into share buybacks and dividends, not spending a lot on R&D and development of new aircraft. And this is the result, okay? You've got a plane that is just demonstrably unsafe, and yet you have a share price that's really, really high. People have, it's gotten a lot of- High, although 100 bucks less than it was, you know, in March 4th, I think, before the first crash. 25% off their historic highs, as you say, but still more than twice what they were when the 737 MAX first flew in 2016. So if you look at the chart, it's actually still really high. Maybe their strategy is not what we would think. I mean, if, if their strategy is to boost share price, they're actually doing a really good job. Thanks so much to Jeff Wise, aviation expert and the author of the book, The Plane That Wasn't There. My final two right after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up are the Democrats, who will indeed hold their next presidential debate this Thursday at Loyola Marymount University. Now, that might sound obvious, given that the debate was announced months ago, but the whole thing had been threatened by a labor dispute between around 150 unionized food service workers at the school and the French company that employs them, called Sodexo. Now, all of the participating Democratic candidates had threatened to boycott if the impasse wasn't fixed, and that was no empty threat. But as of this morning, all's well that ends well. And finally, today's ProRata newsletter included a whopping 23 venture capital deal announcements, totaling over $1.1 billion in investment. And since hitting publish, I've seen a bunch of other ones hit my inbox. Why that matters is that back in October, there was all sorts of pundit and social media chatter that the venture capital party was over due to the WeWork debacle and SoftBank struggles to raise over $100 billion for its second vision fund. But those concerns were really overblown as we've seen from these new deals. And there are three main reasons. First, global interest rates are still low, very low, record low. And that drives investors to search for yield or above benchmark returns, which is something that venture capital can at least theoretically provide. Second, the bull market in public stocks continues. So when a pension system has, say, a 3% allocation to venture capital, the actual dollars represented by that percentage has gotten larger. And third, there keep being large IPOs and corporate sales, like Intel yesterday paying $2 billion for an AI chip startup called Habana Labs. Those returns keep money flowing into VC funds and also lets the VCs themselves recycle some of it for new investments. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national maple syrup day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.